This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Nope. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Jordan Peele's third film? Uh, he's, is, 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 nope. And, uh, we watched it. More? Okay. So, it's a sci-fi kind of horror film, which is, is bent. And it was the big movie of the last summer in 2022 and we watched it and uh, we have varying opinions but it's actually rather good and you might want to watch it before you listen to this because there's a bit of spoilerage it's worth watching um well let's just do the show hey buck hey, hey roy <laughs> he's a picking and i'm a grinning I've got I've got this one dad joke stuck in my head all week. Uh, yeah, I just rode in from Las Vegas and boy, are my horse's balls tired. How's it? I don't know why. How's it a joke? Because it's like I just flew in from Denver and boy, are my arms tired. Only now it's the horse and the okay. yeah okay. like i said it's stuck oh now there. it's, it's funny stuck there. the explanation makes it funny yeah, yeah it, nobody it knows like most jokes well nobody yeah. knows the first joke so that's what makes the second <laughs> joke funny is yeah. you have to know the first joke but you know who knew those jokes dads yeah take my wife try it please. on your dad yeah yeah hey uh. everybody welcome to the magnificently huge podcast my name is brian <laughs> i'm eric hey eric this is chris and, and boy, uh, are my this is your... horse's balls tired. Yeah. This is the, <laughs> welcome to the, the dad joke podcast. What do you get yeah. when you cross I remember a helicopter, had, a giraffe, those... and a rhino? Hell if I know. You know, you know those, those film strips that they had us watch in elementary school, and like, you know, somebody had to like turn the dial when the beep happened on the tape. Yes. Yeah. Those were great. There was one about comedy, and one of the slides <laughs> was just repetition can be funny. <laughs> Oh my repetition god. Repetition no. can be funny. No. Repetition can be, Yeah, boy are my horses balls tired. So yeah. yeah. I mean, comedy comes in threes <laughs> apparently. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. In that regard, uh, RIP Gallagher if you were into the whole smashing of watermelons thing. I like, heard he like funny. was very like sort of angry right wing in the end. He walked off the Mark Marin podcast. <clears throat> Good. Cuz he's yeah, just so like enervated by I don't know what. When you get yeah, that old, like, you turn weird. I kind of just love him and like Jeff Dunham and and all those ilk. Like anybody that would play in uh, what's that Missouri showcase place? Like Branson. Branson, yeah. yeah. Anybody that would showcase in Branson probably isn't my cup of tea, is the way I look at it. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, he was. A, he was well, like, what is your cup of tea? <clears throat> Tell us about it in our segment called the Fresh Shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just, just going to say, uh, the, he was the king of prop comics, and we don't really have prop comics anymore. Yeah, we, for we good kind of, reason. We have Carrot Top. Well, yeah. We still don't. play in Vegas. We, but we there don't. used to be all sorts of different comedians. There were there were ventriloquist comedians and prop comedians, and there were 
there were there were there were genres. Now they're all yeah. gone except for the talkie talkies. Yeah. Whatever. God damn it. But whatever. Uh, also, uh, shout out to uh, License to Ill. The debut Beastie Boys album came out 36 years ago this week as we record this. So if 30, that makes you feel 36? old. Yeah. Why is 36 I, the important number? It's not. You made it important by mentioning it, but uh, this is just oh, the got anniversary. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So right. there you have it. So uh, way back in 1986, it all started for all of us. Those were like the first truck boxes I heard, right? Like the big booming speakers <laughs> yeah. and cars. Yeah. I would that and run DMC's raising hell. Yeah. I just I have very vivid memories of listening to License to Ill as a sixteen year old on a bicycle because I didn't have a car. And I had my tape deck, my portable tape deck stereo, and I would just blast License to Ill at like eleven. So I'd be like riding down like when you when you rode when you figure out how to ride with no hands. And I'm holding the, the beatbox, and it's like Brass Monkey blaring at the top of everything. Oh, you were doing it with the beatbox on your shoulder on your bike? Like, yeah, you didn't yeah, have yeah. a Walkman or something? Oh, no, okay. I, would, I would totally, like, ride around with my, my beatbox. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that was 1986, boy, right there. That's that is suburban thug right there. Like that's the yeah. sort of thing that if I saw on Stranger Things or something, it'd be like that. Nobody never did that. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> you know what I saw a couple so that, years ago? I saw a kid walking down the street with one of those Beats pills. Speak, you know those those speak Beats p- speakers that are pill shaped, but yeah. tied around like like on a string tied around his neck. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, man, that's a bold choice. Dude, I, I think like, that's really just to let people know you have a, a Beats pill. Well, I mean, like, here in Chicago, you can't go down the street without someone on a bike like, riding past you with some sort of Bluetooth speaker blaring whatever the fuck they're listening to. It's like, do you people not oh, know what so they earbuds are? Yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, why do you not I, use earbuds? Yeah. At least I, I understand somebody who's deliberately brought a Bluetooth speaker. It's the people that are just like watching videos in a restaurant yeah. on their phone speaker. It's like, hey, fuck you, <laughs> Seriously. dude, you're not the only person here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Welcome yeah. to you're, the- You heard of, you heard of bringing a knife to a gunfight? You brought a gun to not a fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's rendition of Get Off My Lawn at the Magnificent yes. Podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, so I need some fresh shit. shit. Yeah, really. Anybody got uh, any, any fresh shit? This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Uh, do, you, do you guys, speaking of music, do you guys play Hurdle at all? On your phone, yeah. I've, well, I've been doing the '80s hurdle Dude, since you tur- turned me onto that. They've got like just regular hurdle, which is just random, like uh, whatever, uh, and that's tough because sometimes it's just shit I've never heard. Uh, yeah. But then you can do by decade. So my wife and I do like six of them every night. So we start with hurdle, then we do '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, and the aughts, and we see how many we can get in a row. And it can be tough, man. It can be tough, but I highly recommend if you want to kill some time because it's basically just name that tune and you just get like two seconds and you have to go boom. And when you get one at two seconds, you feel so accomplished. You're like, I've done so much with my life because I can tell you what song that was. <laughs> it's so stupid. It is so stupid. Or or that's how lame I am. Yeah, if I look yeah. at my 80s hurdle stats, it's like either I have it in one second. Yeah. And then my second highest stat is not at all. 
and then there's just like one or two on any of the other links. It's like I either know yeah. this or I don't most of the time. Yeah. Unless it's one of those things that just has like a four on the floor beat and a long intro and you're just waiting for any notes to show up. Yeah, yeah. You know? when, when you get to the stuff from but, like yeah. the, the 90s or the aughts and it's just literally you have to keep pressing forward to get more because it's just the same beat or the same mm-hmm. like note like for four seconds you're like this is just well, i don't know what this is so it, it can be difficult but uh i think the my shining moment was when i called susudio at like one second and my wife, oh i totally got susudio yeah, yeah, in one yeah, yeah. and my no. wife was uh appalled <laughs> it, was, it was it was palpable uh so it's fun uh, so so i it's recommend got a unique drum beat it, yeah it got does. a unique sample of drum because it's, it's phil uh yeah. so we've been killing time with that and then i do have a documentary recommend from netflix uh that's recent uh from the film critic elvis mitchell and it's called is that black enough for you and it's basically uh a look at black cinema from its early days up through the heyday from like 68 to 78 which is what most people tend to remember the black exploitation era oh i i did see this like scrolling past as yeah. I was not watching things on Netflix. Yeah. Yes. If if you're interested at all in film culture and history, that it's a really good one because he he dives pretty far uh to show you huh. just how shitty prohibition era was with segregation, etc. uh and how black cinema kind of came into its own after civil rights. It just, you know, they finally just didn't give a fuck. But they're only really known for the black exploitation stuff, but not like the good stuff from that era as well. So he does a good balance. Uh, so for every like shaft, he does like a, uh, like a mahogany or something like that with Billy D. Uh, so it's like the, the, the good stuff against the good stuff. That's also sort of crappy shit that people would just go to cause it was fun. So there's a lot of like sweet, sweet backs. Is, is it song an entertaining that. documentary? Like, should I watch it? If you like film history? Yes. I recommend okay. it highly because it's there's a lot of stuff in there that you wouldn't have thought about uh, that sheds light. Um, hmm. And and the title of the, the movie is that Black and Euphoria comes from, I think it's uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem, which Ossie Davis, the actor, uh, wrote and directed, and he lifted it from some other stuff. And so there's like all these little like cultural connections. But I didn't realize that Ossie Davis was a film director. I mean, I knew Poitier did. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I didn't realize that Harry Belafonte started as an actor in the late fifties and then just said, fuck it. Uh, when things got too difficult for him to get like good roles that weren't very stereotypical. And so he just fell back on his singing and he was a big Hmm. powerhouse. And then he came back in the late sixties and they, I think, or early seventies or whatever, when he did uh, buck and the preacher with Poitier. So it's just all kinds of film history stuff I had no idea about, and it's just it's very eye opening. So that's my recommend of the week. Is that black enough for you? So I was I was right. surprised to, when I found out that Ossie Davis spoke at Malcolm X's funeral. Yeah, that that thing he reads at the end of the movie Malcolm X. He read. He said at at his as his funeral. That's yeah. It's good. Times. He he had an an interesting life. Yeah. So it's. It's yeah. There's a lot of people. I mean, they and then they talk about Muhammad Ali, obviously, uh, all the luminaries. 
and then they get into Pam Greer and this and that. At one point, like Pam Greer was like the most popular film star uh, in a couple of years span. I mean, it's just crazy stuff that they they drop in there. So if you if you like it, then uh, watch it. There you go. End of story. All right. So, yeah. Ne- next, Baton thanks, Pass. Thanks for the uh, the good thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to pass the mic. What's up? Okay, who gets the mic? <laughs> All right, I can I can go. Um, another thing I scrolled past. This isn't a fresh ship. Another thing I scrolled past on Netflix is I guess they have a new series about blockbuster video. Yeah, no thanks. Like people working in. A, I'm oh like, yeah. Okay, wait a minute. This is Netflix dancing on the grave of Blockbuster. Yeah, Netflix killed Blockbuster. Netflix deliberately yeah. killed Blockbuster. And the, there was the sh- a whole thing when Netflix started out, and Blockbuster started to try to do their yeah. streaming service to compete, and nope. Yeah. yeah. Well, as a so. as a former Blockbuster employee, I can tell you that the writing was on the wall way before Netflix showed up. I mean, they just they didn't they didn't know what they were doing by the end of the nineties. That, that's fair. It's just it's just. You know, the actual, like, we're yeah. going to now profit off of the brand that we crushed thing yeah. is... Yeah, is. that is well, kind like of the funny. Show's, <laughs> yeah, well, the show's, like, literally about the, the last blockbuster uh, before it all closes, is my understanding. Yeah. But uh, as one thing I read about it that made me laugh, they're like, there's, like, six characters in the show, and they're always working together at the same time. When did you ever yeah. see more than two people working at a blockbuster ever? And I agree with that. <laughs> it's because they never let you yeah, pay, I- do your payroll. Yeah, when we watched it, I was like, "Wait a minute! They're all yeah, they're all working at the same time, and they're all quippy." I'm yeah. like, "This is this is lame." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, all right. Like all we ever did at Blockbuster, honestly, was just make a point to to do like crop dusting runs in the kids and family section at least once an hour, if you could, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> Because well, there's nothing else to do. Anyway, um, so th- another streaming thing that I saw, uh, this is when I was on my trip to Vegas. Now, I don't have the Peacock streaming service, and I don't intend to have the Peacock streaming service. Yeah. But um, on the plane, uh, we had the, you know, you've got the in-flight entertainment thing, and, and that had some shows that I could see that I don't normally get to see. So what I watched on my trip out and back was the two episodes that make up the miniseries Angeline on Peacock. I don't know this one. Angeline is a show about the woman who had the billboards in Los Angeles. Angeline. It's just like her and her big-ass boobs in a pose, and it says Angeline and has like a booking number for her, and that was it, right? And, And everyone was just like... Why? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny you bring that up because so because I just watched Earth Girls Are Easy again just for randomly one day uh, a few weeks she's ago in it. and she's in it for like a a, a scene. <laughs> and I'm like, oh god, yeah. that's blast of the past. Angeline is is like an influencer before there was influencers. She was famous for being famous, but really she was famous for being on billboards that yeah. nobody understood. Yeah. Um. So this is this is a biopic of Angeline. Um, starring um, Emmy Rossum from Shameless as Angeline. Really? And this is Airhead Rashomon, okay? Because (laughs) all all of our narrators are unreliable, okay? Nice. (laughs) And so 
So they're interviewing people, you know, like about, or they're interviewing actors pretending to be the people, really, right? And it's like, tell me about this event, and they do it, and they show the scene from that person's perspective, and then they cut to the other interview. What? She said that? Not even close. And then the whole scene different, and in the end, you learn nothing about Angeline. <laughs> I mean, it's just there. They should have. They should just its own enigma. They should have gone more like the Weird Al route and just made shit up. Like, who would know? You know what I mean? It, I was I was entertained for it, you know, on its own terms. But yeah, it's it's just completely an art. The only thing I learned about it was that the number for the talent was the the guy that owned the company that was putting up the billboards. Um, and I guess um this was largely derived from a a play that happened that was put on by the daughter of that guy called Los Angeline, um, where she talks about what it's like to be the daughter of the guy that's getting bamboozled by Angeline, you know, who's like leading him on so that he'll put up billboards and ruining <laughs> his, his marriage in the process. Yeah. Nice. Anyway. Okay. Uh so that's a thing. I don't think it's of any you don't need to rush out and find a way to watch that. If, if you find yourself on a plane showing Peacock Network stuff, then by all means. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. My company provided that service, <laughs> and I knew how to use it. <laughs> anyway. That's very distinct. Um, okay. And then uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Oh, Went and saw that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um... I hear it's very this is very darkly lit and the edit the action scenes are just edited dumbly. Like what it like Ryan, Ryan Coogler just didn't follow anything he had set up in the first one. That's my Well Ryan Coogler no, this is very much Ryan Coogler and the cast of, of Black Panther dealing with the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, T'Challa dies off screen in the first few seconds and this is everyone's sort of reverberation of that and the thing is that it's kind of two movies okay the first movie is really good it's some of the best drama we've ever seen from Marvel Uh, and Angela Bassett might get an Oscar nomination for supporting actress out of it she is excellent um so when it's when it's being a drama it kicks ass. And Namor, our new villain, Namor, the frickin' guy with little wings on his ankles that flies, actually works. <laughs> okay. Somehow, okay. they make Namor work, partially uh. because, sort of like in the first movie, Ryan Coogler is willing to to write the villain as though he's the protagonist and, and has a point and, you know, with a sympathetic eye. Okay. Yeah, and, well, I mean, and if, then if you don't the have other... a good villain, you know, your your film just basically crumbles. That's always been my thing. Yeah, well, and then the other movie is when it tries to do anything Marvel-y. So anytime they're trying to 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 expand the universe, and they have this whole thing where they're bringing in Ironheart, or like you said, Chris, any of the action sequences, and the movie just doesn't work. I heard they were the bringing Marvel-y in Ironheart. Ugh. Yeah, no, Ironheart's here. She's in this movie. Yay. Yeah, she's like she's like playing a young Tiffany Haddish, I guess. I don't know. It, she's she's very street savvy, Ironheart. I mean, just um, this, this fourth phase MCU just very shaky. It's like I think they've worn out their welcome because it's just what do you do now? So now they're just throwing everything at the wall and they're throwing they're, so much they're money. They're doing at it everything, too. yeah. And it's just come on, man. Yeah. I mean, 
don't under don't undersell it. It's good when it's being the movie it wants to be. It's bad when it's being the movie Marvel wants it to be. Yeah, is which what is, I'm saying. Which is seems to be the problem of late. That's the way I'm yeah. seeing it. So yeah, okay, good. So I would I would say watch it. I think it's better than than you're giving it credit for. I understand the fatigue thing, um, but yeah. Okay. I was Panther. wondering. I was wondering if it was going to have more pathos for the guy who actually died than uh, Avengers Endgame had for the guy who didn't really die, you know? Because the end of Endgame is all about, oh, poor Tony, but no, no, it's okay. He's going to be in Doolittle in like a couple months. Yeah. Well, they'll probably bring him back now with all this uh, multiverse stuff. I mean, They keep bringing real. him back in like flashbacks and recordings and stuff. Yeah. It's like, he still gets sort of a Wait, paycheck. Are you talking about... Tony or, or Tony, yeah, yeah. who are you talking about? Tony. Tony. Chadwick okay, Boseman is really yeah. hard to get these days. Yeah, he is. <laughs> He's a little hard. To... No, he. Uh, this whole movie is like a eulogy for Chadwick Boseman. It's a a, a two hour long wake. You yeah. Know? Oh, wow. Um. Yeah. So it's it's how we deal with grief and loss is is its themes and um everybody puts in the work. I mean, there's a lot of of pretty darn good acting and decent writing here and and then the marvelly stuff shows up and yeah. what's her what's her name the, the 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 younger sister becomes uh uh shuri shuri becomes black panther she's like 80 pounds yeah, soaking wet and she's punching bad guys like and they fall down yeah because she's got Did, the, are there well, like are there the like motors in that suit maybe that are helping out because there is no fucking way well so there's two things. One, she does the magical herb thing, which gives her extra powers, but also the suit in, and this was established in the other movies, the suit like absorbs impact and then is a, a, sort of stores up the energy and allows you to push it back out as kinetic energy or some shit. Yeah. She's, uh-huh. her, so, she's her own cue is basically ah. how it's going to function. <laughs> she's like Tony Stark. Okay. Almost, but she's just got yeah. like vast Wakandan resources behind her now. right yep okay i i like i can i say also i like i'm being sarcastic but i do here i like the idea of iron heart because it says basically you don't need to be born into privilege to get the kind of education necessary to make a uh uh, you know a flying mech suit that anybody could do it if they just pick themselves up from their own bootstraps you lazy Mm -hmm. fuckers I mean, yeah. it's such a so, weird message, and they're trying to do a girls are doing it for themselves with that character, but the reality is they're they're kind of shitting on everyone. <laughs> well, they have her as an MIT student, and and actually, what they really shit on is Ironheart because wh- I I'll give this bit away because who cares? It's in the trailers. Um, you know that when we meet Ironheart, she is very much building her skunk works. Yeah, you know, I made it in. In, in secret in a garage Iron Man-ish suit. But when we get to Wakanda, they make her one out of vibranium, which is all fancy and shit. And then at the end of the movie, they're like, yeah, you, you can't take that with you. You can go back <laughs> to, to Boston, wow. but this shit ain't leaving Wakanda. That's yeah. great. That is great. Typical. <laughs> Fucking typical. Yeah, I it, I hope they stick with that because they're. It's funny actually. Every time Marvel uh, riffs off of the actual comics, it's like the comic books they last for like a whole 
series. Maybe they break off for like, you know, 12 or 14 issues. Marvel will do it in a single movie. So maybe this is the only appearance of Ironheart. She got to have the no, suit she's and got then it's like, okay, bye. Coming. Oh, fuck. Yeah, a series of Ironheart. Wait, oh, a, a Disney? Disney okay, then it's not yeah. a real thing. Yeah, that's, that's all horseshit then. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, but let's not fool ourselves. These Disney series—they're—they're they're hilarious. They're not real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Says the anyway, man. No that's my fresh shit for the week. Yeah, I know. Oh, uh, take that, so Eric. Eric. What's yours? Yeah. What you got? Uh, okay, this is an unlikely entry. Um, so it's American Horror Story. I think we're in season nine or ten. Good lord! And it's the first one I think that was actually very well done. For an odd reason. Okay, it's it's American Horror Story, New York City. The whole play thing takes place in, like, 1981, New York City. And there's a serial killer on the loose. And it turns out it's AIDS. It's like a, a metaphorical <laughs> episode. Most of these, these shows, most of these American Horror Stories, I don't like because it's like, oh, great, another ghost who's angry. Or, oh, great, another psychotic who's angry. And they give you both in the beginning. And you think, oh, boy, they've really run out of, out of juice. But then the ghost thing goes unexplained for a while. And the, the serial killer goes away. You know, he's dispatched. And you go, wait a minute, what's the rest of this show then? And it turns out those were never the bad guys. The serial killer was a distraction from the fact that there's this disease that's, you know, killing people. And the ghost is actually the specter of death. He's this this big muscly guy in a leather outfit that's actually, you know, killing people because of this disease and it is so fucking amazingly well done. By the time you get to the last episode, you go, Oh shit, this is what I've been watching. <laughs> There's like a lot of there there are moments of campy acting. I mean, there's some casting choices in this that are so unfortunate. Some of the people in here there there's like a kid from Desperate Housewives who's grown up to be gay. And so he's in this and he's not good at all. Uh but has oh, has American Horror Story actually gone more seasons than Glee now? Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Glee was like Five seasons? It was not very long at all. Yeah. Once think, they got out of high school, it was like, yeah, it's over. Do you think well, we'll ever get once, across... A, do you sorry, think we'll once, ever get once, uh, Corey Monteith died, they only had, like, you know, one season, and then they said, fuck this. Yeah. I mean, I want the crossover with uh, American Horror Story, like CSI, or NCIS. <laughs> they need to do something like that. I mean, just yeah. come on. You know? This could have been that. This could yeah. have been that, because one of the main characters is a, a New York cop who's uh, in the closet. Uh, I, yeah, I, I would say if you tuned out of American Horror Story a long time ago, this is the one to come back to. Uh, if- a lot of metaphor at work, a lot of fever dream type stuff, and it's not like an easy wrap-up. I, I think m- my wife did not like it as much because she likes the camp of American Horror Story. Uh, this was... You know, serious is a fucking heart attack, and uh, mm, okay. yeah, worth it, I think. Okay, all right. AHC yeah. or what is it? AHS NYC is that the anagram for it? Uh, yeah, Asnick, I Ash. guess. Asnick. Okay, <laughs> thank you. What else you got, yeah. Eric? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay I'm gonna lay back because you know we got another show after this. All right. Wow. Well, restraint. Let's uh. Let's get on with the show. Fresh don't matter. Fresh, 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 fresh. Nope. nope. 
Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. Boy, so much to say about this. So much to say. Uh, I'm nope. going to go on record and tell you that uh, this is my first Jordan Peele film. Uh, I had, I've yet to yeah, see same. Us or Get Out uh, just because I've, I've never been a band, oh. bandwagoner. Yeah. Uh, I, so I just, uh, I it, just didn't, didn't jump on the hype wagon and have yet to, to watch those other two. I want to say over um, the course of uh, COVID, I spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos, as you know, and mm, a lot of them were reviews of Get Out and Us. So I just never felt the need to see those because I'd already kind of seen them. So yeah, this is my first one as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, what I can tell you is that they have gotten successively worse. Uh, <laughs> I've seen all three. And- really? Because if Get Out is by far the best Jordan Peele film, and Us is not as good, and this is because really not as good. Us seemed like a real stretch of an idea. Yeah, I mean, I I got it. I enjoyed Nope, and if this is his weakest movie, then uh, God bless him. He's a very good filmmaker because holy crap! Oh, we're gonna have a a very good good filmmaker. I was entertained, uh, and I had no predilections about any of his previous stuff. So he. He okay, obviously likes right. to pack a lot of ideas into his packages uh, for dissemination later. So he's ambitious. There were times where it didn't work entirely for me, but overall, I thought, hey, uh, at least it's interesting. It's not like watching a fucking Rob Zombie horror flick, which is just basically the most asinine, banal, just right. rote bullshit ever. At least Jordan Peele has taken the proper lessons from his horror mo- the- movie watching. You know what I mean? Yeah. The- the quick, the quick, the quick breakdown is: there's a horse ranch just outside of Los Angeles that provides animals for movie sets. Uh, the patriarch dies mysteriously when a bunch of change falls from the sky, uh, and it turns out that there is some kind of flying alien stalking the ranch, mm-hmm. and from that, hilarity ensues. Uh, <laughs> sort of. <clears throat> I it thought was, yeah. this was a very well done B movie. I mean, it is not. Yes, where it tries to have meaningful moments, it kind of it doesn't fail. It meanders. It's like I'm not really yeah. sure what I'm supposed to think or feel about the things that don't involve aliens, but yeah. the parts that do, I'm like, this is absolutely Spielberg at his best. Oh yeah, this is this was definitely what I love. It was definitely Jaws meets Close Encounters for the bulk of it, with yeah. a little Jurassic Park, yeah. peppered in. So yeah. Uh, what I love about it is that it is it is very much a Spielbergian movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that you know they take their sweet ass time showing you the creature and all of that, um, and that's shot you know with uh, grandeur and all of that. But it is also specifically a couple of things. One, the the whole deal is that the alien comes and gets you. If you do the thing that characters in Spielberg movies do, which is look up at it, yeah, in wonder. If you if you do the Spielberg pose, you dead. Yeah. Oh, and, and yeah. it's like in, in, it's like in every movie. Spielberg I guess movie we can, too. Yeah. I guess we can say get start right off spoilers, and you know maybe yeah. maybe you yeah. do want to pause this time. Normally, I'm like fuck this movie, but yeah, I, I would I would actually see the movie, but yeah. as long as okay. we're there, spoilers. Uh, so I'll just I, I'll just cut in real quick here and 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 yeah just say hey folks we're gonna spoil uh we're gonna spoil nope so here's yeah. the spoiler bump and I'm with the show there you go I love right, that spoiler bump I love it who is that woman who who goes spoilers who is that um 
so at, at the very end of it? Yeah. Yeah. Spoiled um, that's me. Yeah, whatever it is. Oh, oh, spoiled me. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, now I have to look it up. I, that's <laughs> actually one of the ones I don't remember. <laughs> oh, shit. Off the top well, of my anyway, head. Well, anyway. I'll have to look and, it up. Yeah. Anyway, I have it in the I, notes somewhere. The explanation of looking into the horse, uh, the, the horse, into the animal's eye is actually very well done. The horse in the beginning freaks out when it looks into the mirror and sees like the, you know, the face is looking at it. Yeah. Which apparently spooks an animal. And he puts it together that this thing is not a, a UFO, but an actual creature. And when you eyeball it, that's when it bolts. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's a little, it's a little, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, it's a well, lucky thing that that's actually true, but it's actually at least it's established. It's not like some character who says, "You know, if you eyeball an animal, it bolts." We should not well, do that. It's actually I he, established. I think he spent enough time setting up the background, though, in that they're horse trainers. They understand how to to tame and break a wild animal, mm-hmm. and he understands how wild animals think, and so. Yeah. I didn't think it was a stretch to show him piecing it together where if you look it in the eye, it's going to eat you because it's a high, high octane predator. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't a stretch for me. And I thought it yeah, was, funny I wouldn't say they, it was a, yeah, I didn't think it was a complete stretch. I just thought it was lucky that, you know, like this, this alien biology works the same way. But I, yeah. I my, my main thing is basically that I'm glad that they, you know, established it, that yeah. they, <laughs> they spent the time explaining this thing. Well, I like that well, it was it was so fragmented too because they keep intercutting with the the chimp that goes nuts on the sitcom set, and yeah, so that was you great. kind of you kind of get the flow through thread of how unpredictable that wildlife can be, and uh, right. as much as you try to tame it, it's not going to work. But then it rolls into his larger theme of just where its spectacles are now pretty much what we're addicted to, so you just can't look away no matter how horrific these things are. Yeah. So sort and, of like- and he names the monster JJ. I mean, Jean Jacket. Jean but Jacket. he names the monster JJ as in JJ Abrams. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's that. Oh, see, then- I, thought if- I thought he called it that because it sounds like VJJ. Like, because it looks like a big vagina flying through the no, air. Jean well, Jacket, there's yeah. that. But, well, no, I mean, Jean Jacket is what they name it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it is not. Not subtle, right? He's yeah. he's also taking the piss out of J.J. Abrams thematically. Well, I mean, but then you've also got the main character, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, and he's playing a character named O.J., Otis Jr. And right. so there's there's a reference to, you know, O.J. Simpson, obviously, yeah. uh, in some form. I, I love Donna Mills saying... Um, your your name is OJ. You yeah. you know, like you willingly call yourself OJ. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. There's that, and then the <laughs> the sister's name is is Emerald, and that suggests to me it's a tie into the Wizard of Oz, because uh, you've got all these like tornadic activities when everything gets sucked up. So he's got a lot of weird motifs peppered through it. Uh, but I just I just enjoyed it because he he slowly filters in the fuller flashback of the chimp massacre on the set mm-hmm. and like when it first starts out it's very jarring you're like what the hell is this and then he starts expanding on it and expanding on it until you realize it's like oh shit it's like this is literally just about trying to tame something that is untamable for your own ends and it's just gonna end badly i mean it's just that's pretty much it and that's that to me is very jaws very close encounters yeah uh through the whole thing i, I agree completely 
I find think it was completely unnecessary to then have the character the, the the sister character come back in a wheelchair with her half her face ripped off. I thought that was, <laughs> that was like, I was much. like, why is that there? That was why is yeah. that other than it's really creepy to look at? I think you know? it's just yeah, a, I think it was for the trailer. Yeah, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but I also think it was probably to to sort of show uh, Jupe, the Stephen Young character, uh, just how detached he was from everything because of his PTSD. Like he's just he's just a showman, and that's literally all he is. Like he's trying to tame this creature in the sky, and then you keep seeing his version of the flashback where the the chimp finally. Uh, sees him under the table and tries to do the the fist bump right before he gets his brains blowed out. Uh, so it's just like you can see the the trauma from day one, and then when he gives the whole spiel about rather than explaining what happened himself, he's referencing a Saturday Night Live skit where Chris Kattan played the monkey going crazy uh, yeah. as a way to mm-hmm. deflect. And I'm like, oh, this guy is severely damaged. Holy fuck! Yeah, I would have liked more time <laughs> with him. So, you know, because he is very yeah. nice the whole time. He's very nice, yeah. and yet he's he's the he's the reason this shit happens. Mm-hmm. He's feeding the thing horses and keeping yeah. it around. Yeah, it's like no, he's kind of the bad guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. If anyone is, so that was an yeah. So he choice. is he is yeah. He was a child actor on a sitcom with a chimpanzee where things went horribly wrong. Yeah. And now he has this ranch nearby our oj's ranch um where he it's what is it like jupiter's claim jupiter's claim yeah, yeah. Like um, park. and it's this like wild west theme park um and yeah one of the attractions is every friday night they they he's basically stolen a horse from oj and he feeds it to the monster <laughs> and everybody gets to see a ufo i think he bought him uh, he, yeah, he, he buys the horses because well, sometimes they steal the, them sometimes they the buy ranch them. is starting both. to fail yeah. They st- where, yeah. When did they steal them? Well, the horses that have just gone disappeared yeah. uh, were getting stolen by, by Jupe. Um, oh, by the alien. sell yeah. some, too. But, uh, so. but I like that there's all these threads that are very much just sleight-of-hand misdirection. And I think that, to me, mm-hmm. suggests that Jordan Peele has a very strong, assured hand in what he's doing. Because it mm-hmm. teeters on being too much, but it always serves the purpose of moving things forward to keep the audience guessing. Cause there's that whole early sequence yeah. where OJ's in the barn at night and then the creatures like appear. And that's when he's first, like he first says, Nope. I'm like, that's, that made me laugh mm-hmm. out loud. Yeah. Cause it's like, that's literally what people in the theater go and, and say when stuff like that happens, but you never see the characters in the film do it. And so he's like, Mm-mm, Nope, Nope. And he's trying to film. And then it turns out that they're little, the little kids of jupes. Uh, just fucking with yeah. them. Yeah. And so the, Yeah. Yeah. The the kids in alien costumes, I was like, oh, I hate this movie now. This is so M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and then when they explain why and it's tied in directly to the same fucking alien, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. I, I get it now. That was yeah. that was good. Yeah. But he takes his sweet yeah. time yeah. sort of uh marinating a lot of these threads. And and I, I enjoy that because it's not just feed your audience everything right up in front with all the exposition and things so it's not like a halloween movie yeah. or something it's like you have to kind of piece it together a little bit as you go along and i, I enjoyed that aspect of chris it very well. you you might really like us and and frankly get out even if you've been spoiled on the big twist and get right, out right. it doesn't matter because it's i mean both of those movies by the way are designed to be watched at least twice yeah like 
because you, you yeah you kind of you know you're being manipulated by Jordan Peele the whole time right. he's he's got a very well thought out thing but then the next time through you have more information and you can see it through a different lens yeah um well I no I totally he's, he's a very good screenwriter yeah well I totally would have watched those other two before we came to this uh recording but I just didn't have time like I I saw mm-hmm. I watched Nope and I went okay if that's if that's how good he is and it, the consensus is this is his worst film yet. I'm like, holy shit. So, yeah, I will definitely yeah. go back and review this other That two. was a very tight opening, right? I mean, like, that, right. that first five minutes tells you so much information, and there's so little filler. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. This is the dad. He's dead. It, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, he died from a nickel. How the fuck did that happen? It's just, yeah. I Love. loved the economy of that opening. Yeah. Well, and it's the, the the way they introduce all the characters, uh, very well done. Because then you even get the Michael Wincott like cinematographer Antlers Holst, who's like this weird Werner Herzog jackass. Michael <laughs> Wincott is always is always a treasure. Any movie he's in, I am just so happy he's because he's in so few movies and he's These so days. fucking good. And that he is voice. so effectively creepy. Yeah, like and he voice. always always. Always dies. <laughs> when, they're, <laughs> when they're at the, the table after they've eaten and they're sort of mulling over the rest of their plan, and he just gives that very morose uh, recitation of, pur- of <laughs> purple people eater. Purple people I, eater. I thought that's just, that's poetry right there. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> it was so just sad and morose. I'm like, it's the did dumbest you- song ever made, and he just made it poetry yeah did you but did you notice like the funny well i don't know there wasn't something to notice but i i felt it was a callback to jaws when they're singing uh the uh, was it lady of spain um right right. (laughs) and they're singing it on the i think it was lady of spain but they were yeah it's he is he is the uh um clint i can't remember his name yeah he's he's quint i mean they had sort of composites but he's like quint He's like the, the guy from Quint, Jurassic. That's yeah. it. Yeah, he's like the the hunter but, from Jurassic Park at the end. He's sort of that yeah. character. Yeah, <laughs> I I thought it was a bit lucky that he's into either editing or just viewing uh, footage of predators on yeah. his own time. Right. So that when he he gets this call to come do this thing, it's like, oh, I like predators. I totally have a hard on for predators. <laughs> Let's see this fucker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, the, 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 the thing that the, that the people are trying to do, because they've seen, you know, what's happening, but they can't prove it. And so they're trying to get photographic evidence of what they think is a UFO. And, um, and they start by going to Fry's Electronics. Yeah, in Burbank, <laughs> which is yeah, with the this, with this the movie, alien ship breaking through the wall. Yeah, this yeah. this movie was shot after Fry's Electronics was completely gone, and the owners of Fry's Electronics actually have cameos in the movie. But they 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 went to the Burbank Fry's and and filmed there, and, and so this is like the most belated product placement ever. Uh, for Fry's Electronics, yeah. but um, but it's all because but, of the front facade of that one store has the spaceship breaking through it. I right, mean, yeah, it was right. pretty cheap. I was actually wondering, is this some kind of signal that well, everything we're watching is bullshit? I it was a nice kind of fake. Well, I thought, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was there. I mean, the thing the thing that that sets up though is for whatever reason, when the creature is near, all electricity, all things using electricity fail. You know, it takes all the power away. It's got like is, an EMP surrounding it. 
Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, it'll kill your car, but I guess if your battery and your alternator fail, your car's not going anywhere either, so I'll, I'll buy that. Um, but it's such a great way of disempowering the modern characters, right? Because this, this is a present day uh, setting. Yeah. But everyone, everyone basically has nothing. Their phones don't work, you know, the internet doesn't work, their cameras don't work, nothing that they're used to works. Well, I mean... And so they have to do things like ride horses and hand crank cameras well, and stuff. Well, not to get all highfalutin, but that falls into the other sub-thread of his theme, because he starts it with the 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 footage of the first uh, motion picture, which is an African-American mm-hmm. cowboy, uh, which totally destroys the whole American myth of the West in its entirety, but then gets buried and nobody really knows about it. But it's also about how the technology sort of advances. So this becomes Jordan Peele sort of going, well, yeah, we're sort of drawn to all the CGI stuff, but when that fucking breaks, your movie's just garbage. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a nice (laughs) little poke at all of the, the CGI heavy movies that we have now that are all spectacle, but totally empty. Whereas this, it's sort of like he's restrained. It's very much, Mm -hmm. uh, in limited use and so he kind of draws out that sense of wonder and that's sort of i yeah. feel like jordan peele poking his finger in the eye of I'm, modern cinema yeah. i'm glad yeah i'm glad you said that because i gotta say in my opinion in the last 10 15 minutes this movie falls apart completely it yeah. it it shits its own bed in the end and it's right around the time the effects budget goes up and we see the full <laughs> alien and I'm like, I, it's like, no, 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 you could have, you could have either ended this more succinctly the way you've done the rest of this movie, or you could have just fucking ended it. But to, to then well, make it a spectacle, know. like we haven't had enough wow factor. Let's give them more wow. Fa- it almost feels like a producer who looked at test cards and said, nope, we got to get more on. Nope. Well, but it also parlays into the opening crawl of whatever bible reference that is where it's like you know we're going to destroy you because you like spectacle and then it becomes Mm -hmm. this like weird space sky jellyfish but it almost looks like an angel of death when it's doing its final deal and i think that sort of plays into his whole motif and then the fact that that emerald has to do the hand crank quarter operated uh souvenir snapshot from the well to get it uh this ties yeah. into the whole yeah that one i had yeah. the yeah. biggest problem of all with this thing that happens all over the great big blue sky magically and don't tell me that inflatable cowboy like floated directly <laughs> straight up it's a fucking it, movie it happens man. come on it yeah it's a movie that was doing great with its premise right up until that last 10 15 I, minutes that's what I i'm mean, saying it yeah. shit the bed yeah oh I mean, and and my yeah, I, I like there are a lot of movies like that these days I notice where it's like no matter how strong a hand they have by the time they get to the end it just goes blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, I mean so the, he Jordan Peele wrote this during COVID lockdown because he was just seeing mm-hmm. like all the all the streaming stuff that people were watching and this and that and he it, like his whole thing was he wanted to do a movie that forced people to have to come back to the theater. And so yeah. I can see how he'd like go big or go home. Uh, I can see why he would do the ending the way he did it. Um, but again, it's very ambitious and it may not work entirely, but I don't fault him at yeah. all for trying because at least he made the effort. You know what I mean? Oh, oh no. I'm just saying he didn't stick the landing. I like the movie, but it's a, it's a solid B movie. 
It's also funny, yeah. again, mentioning M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong, right. is that this is, this is his third film, and M. Night Shingoladingle's third film was Signs, which was also good, but not up to the level of his first film. Yeah. So I gotta wonder if he's really, you know, like, are we in for some bad times? <laughs> no, I think he's got I hope he learns the, the lesson of uh, M. Night Shingle de Lambondo and, and yeah. says, you know, I can't get too full of myself. I have to. No, because I have to reel it in. I mean, he's got like a five picture deal with Universal for his for Monkey Paw Productions or whatever. So he's going to get an opportunity to do stuff, and I think they're going to give him enough creative leeway. So if he yeah. if he fails, he fails, but at least he's going to do it on his terms. But I, based on this do one, I feel like he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. What, what what we're seeing here is that he's got he's got a lot of layers, right? He's working on a number of levels. Chris, you're not. <laughs> You're not stretching to bring the that sort of thematic analysis in. I think that's that's very much there. And yeah, I think I think he's got gas in the tank and he what he's not doing in any of these movies is comedy, which is how he got yeah, established in the first place. Like the guy's got a lot going on. Well, yeah, but if you've ever watched the Key and Peel show, it's like some of his stuff gets really dark, so it's very boring, <laughs> yeah. not comedy. So I don't feel I don't feel like this is a lateral move at all. I feel it's just like it's a step up from what he was doing on the sketch comedy show. It's just got a bigger tapestry. I mean, yeah, he's he's obviously ingested a lot of movies and is just a crazy mm-hmm. nutball like Tarantino, but he's more muted in the way he presents it. He's actually doing something other than like, Oh, look how great trash cinema is. I'm just going to regurgitate this and talk about how amazing it is. It's like that to me is Tarantino. And I can't get over that with him, but with peel, I can see where he's, he's taking that, but sort of expanding it and creating more of a lexicon for it. That's, that's sort of what I felt watching this. So they're both similar in that they both gravitate towards genre fiction to do their job. But yeah, but he's not just just jerking off with nonsense half of the time, having <laughs> right, people right. you know like make him feel smart by saying a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, uh, no. Peel is also very much more interested in metaphor than Tarantino ever was. Right. <laughs> um, he's more interested in making political statements. He's he's more interested in this the the actual structure of the film, you know, the, his films reveal themselves right over time. Yeah. So um, I'm definitely interested in watching it again, just to see where more of the themes yeah. roll in. Cause I've, I mean, I know there's something else going on in the background when they do the whole field full of, uh, the noodle balloon men that you get from like car dealerships. Uh, like I know there's something else going on besides that's just a good way to attract the space creature thing. Uh, but but I also they can a, see when it's approaching because the batteries die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that to me, I'm just I'm trying to piece it together as part of the thematic. So that's the kind of stuff that's stuck in the back of my, my brain now watching it, which yeah. to me means that he is a very exceptional filmmaker because you don't just leave his movie and go, okay, one and done next. Like I'm still like regurgitating it in my brain and trying to figure out where all the threads go. And some of them may be loose threads and won't mean anything, but others will sort of click. And so I, I appreciate that greatly from him because you don't get a lot of that from, from people these days who are making movies. So as a final thought, uh, what, cause I have my own thought. I want to see if yours is different. Do you know why it's called? Nope. 
I assume it's called <laughs> Nope for the same reason Get Out was called Get Out, because this is the stuff that like audiences shout at the screen. Yeah. Right, and he's nope. he's trying to make his characters not as stupid as the typical character in a scary movie. Yeah, Chris, uh, th- yeah, pretty much that. I think it's just like seeing something that your brain can't quite wrap itself around, and you're like, nope. You know what I mean? Because here's a, here's a what here's what I think. The first time that comes up in the movie, he asks his sister, "What's the opposite of uh, was it? Uh, what's the opposite of a miracle? A bad miracle? Right? Like a." Yeah, what's a bad miracle? Do you know what the is there a word for bad miracle? And she says, nope. nope. And so every time in that movie somebody says nope, it is an anti-miracle. I think that's what nope means is that this is all mm. this is all sur- like unreal big but bad. Yeah. And I thought that was Actually, another the- beautiful way of rolling it out cuz the first time I saw the preview and they said nope, I laughed my balls off cuz I was like, yeah, that's funny. But then he actually makes it thematically make sense. Even when the kids come out in alien costumes and he says, nope, this is a surreal, you know, non-reality moment that's bad. Right. Yeah, and even the very first nope is audio from the that sitcom where yeah. the chimp is about nope. to kill everybody. Yep. And yeah. it, yep. Ex- mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you, if you do a quick uh, Google, uh, there's some things that cross-reference that, but I guess he spoke to like a, a convention or, or something, but sp- from Jordan Peele himself, uh, why it's called Nope is, is the film is a ride. The title speaks to the idea that audiences are reacting to what they're thinking and feeling in the theater. So when you tell people it's a scary movie, a lot of times they just say, Nope. So I wanted to acknowledge those people with the title and bring them in. It's about a person who thinks they don't love horror movies just to show them that maybe they do. So that's like him sort of just, Casting a, a wide net and reeling them in. Wow. I like Eric's version better. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't ever debunk it. But but I think that speaks to <laughs> what Eric is getting at. It's yeah because they do a lot of talk about the bad miracle, and that can parlay into like the Jupe character as well because he's he survived that trauma, and that was his bad miracle because there's that weird slipper on the soundstage that's just yeah. standing straight up, and then you see it in the the glass cube in his. Uh, hidden room that he sort of keeps uh, to commemorate that whole trauma and it's still facing straight up and he can't explain it but then you think like did he just remember it that way or did that really happen that way and so it's like the weird the way your your noodle kind of bends everything around but yeah nope yeah did it really happen that way nope nope (laughs) (laughs) so i yeah so yeah i i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh i wish him the best of luck and continued success because this movie made like 178 million dollars worldwide so good for him yeah Yeah. like mid post covid yeah 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 no it was it was one of the summer movies this last year yeah so hey uh yeah we're a podcast we do this uh every week and we watch movies, and sometimes they're good ones, like, nope. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> not. But sometimes they like, are. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, like, yep. So, yeah, we have to, yeah. Yeah. I'm so sure, actually, the these sort of straight-to-streaming, shitty, like, uh, uh, you know, the same way they made Atlantic Rim after Pacific Rim, yeah. somebody will make yep. <laughs> well, all I know is it's not going to be anything like the Munsters remake. 
So, oh my God, enjoy. I tried to watch that. I tried. We could. Not oh, do that's it. another it show so, right there. So bad. <laughs> anyway. It's unwatchable. Anyway, it's it's no, nah. nope, 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 nope. Okay. Anyway, yeah, nope. Right. You subscribe know. to the podcast. Share it on social media. Blah blah blah. 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 Magnificently huge podcast. Maghuge.com. M-a-g-h-u-g-e.com. Yeah. Come back next week. <laughs>